Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Well, all righty, praise the Lord. Let's give God a great clap offering. Isn't he worthy of all our praise this morning? Such a blessing to be with Jeff and Brandy. Um, known them many years. I've also known Jed and Sarah Walker many years. And I cannot believe, Pastor Jed, you're teaching Pastor, his daughter's being married tonight. I mean, I can remember the night she was born. Maybe, I know I look 26. That's true, give or take, four decades. Okay. So wonderful to be here. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we've been in a series exploring Passion Week, uh, leading up to your resurrection. And Lord, we stand in our own lives today desperate for fresh resurrection power to ripple over Keller and our country. And I pray you'd meet us where we are. Lord, we've just come out of one of the most pressure packed years in our lifetime. It's affected us in multiple ways. Uh, What would you say to us today here in Milestone? I thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit makes your word alive to us. And I pray, Lord, we thank you for your living word. And I pray today uh, you would write in our hearts, you would encourage us, you would speak to us, amen. We've been examining in this series, The Passion Week, And I want to comment on two events, the triumph of Jesus as he entered Jerusalem and the pressure and pain of Gethsemane. I'm going to entitle this message from the heights to the depths, releasing the power of resurrection. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, Paul says this, for I'm sure, he said, I'm sure of something. Neither death, even if you die or go through some type of other death or anything in your life, nor angels, dark angels, demonic power, earthly rulers, or anything in your present life or anything you'll ever face, nor powers again, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. What's he saying? No matter what you're going through, God has it. No matter what you're facing in your health with your children. Maybe in the last week there's been something in one of your children that's just broken your heart. It could be you you awaken today with a depression that just wouldn't go away. You said, Lord, I I never thought I'd be depressed with my mom, but I am. Is there any hope for you? Maybe that heart was just going crazy last night in bed and you could not sleep. You literally felt like someone was sitting on your chest. Does God have an answer? He says, yes, nothing will separate you from my love. But I want to examine two of them, height nor depth. Your scholars basically debate what is Paul referring to by height or depth. Some, some speculate some kind of angelic thing. Others typically say that means whether you're in the heavenlies or in hell, nothing can separate you from Christ's love. When I say hell, a hellish situation. 
So he's saying, no matter how high you may feel today, it may be just his moment of victory, or no matter how low you are, nothing can separate you from his love. Now, why is that important? Because typically, if we're not careful when we come to those high points in life, we forget him, at a low point, we reject him. In fact, the two moments of great peril in the life of the believer are the high points and the low points. Both have their pain. And I want to examine, starting out this morning, with Jesus at what would seemingly be the high point of his ministry. When he entered Jerusalem, he just raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus lay in that tomb a number of days. Jesus called him out. It was like a cannon shot. Hundreds had come down and they fled back into Jerusalem and said, this Jesus raised the dead. The whole city, the capital city was just shaken. Now he's coming into Jerusalem and the city's turned out. It was like the emperor of Rome had come in. He was riding a donkey. Thousands of people were yelling his name, taking off their robes and laying them down as a pathway, putting palm branches over him. This is the king, it's him. The, the, there was such a cacophony of praise that even the Pharisees, his most bitter enemy, said, this is it, the whole world's gone after him. Rome did not even attempt to intervene. They had never seen the crowds. Greeks, non-Jews were coming up and saying, we've just got to meet this Jesus. You just imagine there was a weekend here where all of Keller decided to come to church. You just imagine if you looked out, the whole city of Keller was in your parking lot saying, Jesus, Jesus. How many of you feel like, man, we pretty much got our city, raise your hand. A whole nation turned out. The disciples were cheering. Man, this is it. We've got the political system. We've got all the power we need. I mean, what could be better? This was seemingly the acme of his ministry. The high point. I mean, you could read it for yourself in John 12. Yet, as the disciples celebrated and cheered and his enemies felt we've lost, he's won the nation. Jesus began to cry. Now, why would you weep at the greatest moment in your business? What, what would bring tears to your eyes at the ultimate high in your business career? He'd seemingly won. But Jesus realized this. He realized that popularity, praise, prosperity, and power many times are momentary and illusionary. They don't ask. They don't last. It's not real. And Jesus typically knew this, that the doorway to the resurrection power of Christ is typically not the mountaintop. It's the valley. It's the low place. In fact, every mountaintop experience you see in Scripture, for the most part, nine out of ten of them, is typically followed by a low place. Like, why would he weep? Like, how does sorrow capture your heart 
after such a moment of popularity. We can look back at the years leading into the pandemic here. It would seem to many Christians, this was just the high point. We're going to take the whole nation. But what did Jesus realize? He warned them and Jesus answered them. The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And they're thinking, what do you mean you are glorified? I mean, this is it. This is power, this is grace. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. What's he saying? Listen, he said, I wish it was this simple. But Jesus realized he could already knew that the same crowd that cheered him would soon jeer him and call him to be dead. He realized that this is not the high point. The high point will be my resurrection, but there's a low point coming. He realized that what no one else realized that day, that popularity does not change a planet. That good press does not change a city. The massive crowds alone are not enough. There is typically a process by which we hit a low point and Christ meets us there with resurrection power. He said, my, my soul's really troubled. I mean, they couldn't figure it out. Why are you troubled? And he said, what am I gonna say? Have you ever been in an hour, this is rhetorical, don't raise your, that you wish Jesus would have rescued you from? You learn everything seems to be going so well in your life, then there's an eruption somewhere. Why would that be? He said, what shall I say? Dad, save me from this hour. No, it's the purpose I came for. I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, an audible voice. I have glorified it and I'll glorify it again. The crowd stood there and heard it and they said, it thundered. There was such a cacophony, such a massive shout in the crowd, they couldn't even hear the audible voice of God. Others said an angel spoke and Jesus said, this voice was for you. Oh, how easy it is to go from the heights to the depths. We've gone through 18 months that's brought the world to the depths. Been on the, I've been on the phone with leaders around the world. So many wanting to quit, so broken. Many in our own nation shaken and fractured in multiple ways. People afraid, wondering what's gonna come next. Snow apocalypse. In Nashville, our own historic district blown to pieces on Christmas morning. What's next? Where? is Christ in the depths? Where is Christ when it's hard? Not if it's hard, when it's hard. And how many of you know you can be in the heights in the depths at the same time? You can be in the height of your business in pain over a child. You can be in the high point financially and a low point in your marriage. Where is Jesus when it's hard? How do we find him? Where is he when we're just in the depths? And may I tell you, the doorway to God's power is in the depths, not the heights.
The heights are meant by God to prepare us for the depths. Soon, Jesus would have his last supper. We find the story of that for one in John 13 and all, and all the other gospels. Then you'd get John 14, 15, 16, 17. Some of the greatest material ever given. And in those chapters, he outlines for the disciples, this is what you're going to need when I'm gone. He even hid himself in Jerusalem to get them ready for a day when he'd be taken. And now they're marching into Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press. Now they're marching in to one of the most painful moments in his ministry in their lives. Gethsemane is the place of pressure. There's not a person in this building or watching online who hasn't been in a Gethsemane where everything in you is just squeezed out. When you come into your Gethsemane, when you come into your time of pressure, in your marriage, in your family, in your life, in your business, in your health, the phone rings. I'll never forget when the phone rang. I says, your wife's cancer is now in her lymph nodes. She stands healed before you today. Holding a dying son with no answer but God, and he showed up. Doctor saying, your autoimmune system is destroyed. You're done. Don't work. And you're 32. What do you do when the pressure comes? What do you do when you're in the depths, not the heights? May I tell you, the whole body of Christ around the world has been plunged into the depths. I want to take you this morning into Gethsemane with Jesus, and I want to help you understand why there in the hardest moment of his ministry, he thrived Why his disciples ran. You see, he warned them in John at the end of his message, he said, there is a day coming when every one of you will run home and leave me alone. There's a day coming when this little relationship is gonna to seem to end. There's a day coming when you're gonna be locked up in your home for fear. Right there in John 16, he told him that. It's gonna be broken, you're gonna be hopeless, but even when you leave me, I won't be alone, I'll have my dad with me. Says in Luke twenty-two thirty-nine, as he went out from the Last Supper, and that was crazy. Right in the Last Supper, the world's first great small group, the Bible says that when Judas took communion, the devil entered him. That's frightening. He closed that happy little meeting by saying, before the night's over, you'll all deny me. Who'd want to go back to that small group? And now they're leaving, they're headed to Gethsemane, and he's going somewhere. And he said, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. You see, Jesus had a habit. And his habit was, whenever I come to Jerusalem, I'm going to the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't go to the Garden of Gethsemane because all of a sudden the Holy Spirit said, go. He went because ever since he was a boy of 12, going to Jerusalem, he would go to this garden of Gethsemane and pray. It was his habit. May I tell you by the Holy Spirit, Christians typically build their life with God on one of two things, their habitat or their habit. What do I mean by that? 
To many Christians, their life with God is built with their habitat. When they're in church, they're worshipful, they're praising. When they're in small group, they feel transparent. But when they're out of their habitat, not much happens. Oh, when they're in church, they're one way. But when they're at home, they just don't feel that presence. It's just not the same. They come to small group, it's great. They're inspired when Pastor Jeff or one of the great staff here speaks the word, but they're rarely inspired at the same level when they read their Bible. But Jesus understood something. When crisis comes and you're ripped out of your habitat, all you have left is your habit. What you do when it does not matter, you'll do when it really does. The disciples were about to be ripped out of their habitat. I mean, they'd had Jesus pastoring them three and a half years, lived on miracles, food multiplied every day in the greatest moments of spiritual history. But in one moment, they were torn from their habitat. Why would Jesus tear you from your habitat? Do you realize all around the world, churches shut? In Europe, churches are still closed. I work in 81 countries. No one's going to church in Europe. They're Zooming still. You have to go back to the Spanish flu to find when churches were closed. Why would God allow in his sovereignty the whole body of Christ to be ripped from their habitat? Why would he allow that? Why would he allow churches to close? Thank God for Zoom, but it is not the same. I'm, I'm blessed by it. But there's an experience in the presence of God when we come together that's amazing. Why? Why would God rip us from our habitat? Why would God rip the disciples from their habitat? Jesus was going to die. They're going to live in hell locked up. Why would he allow it? Because he rips us from our habitat to expose our habit. And what did you learn? What did you learn when you couldn't meet with other believers? What did you learn when there was no small group? What did you learn in a masked, distanced world? You see, in the end, it's what you do every day that you'll do when you're out of your habitat. Before this crisis hit us, Lord showed me a number of things. Terrible river of death coming out of China to the world, our financial market shaking, all kinds of things. But he told me the last weekend of August in 2019. He said, there's a crisis coming and your current devotional habits are enough for you to survive, not thrive. Come closer. Been reading the Bible since I was eight. It's just a habit. I wake up every morning and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I go to bed every night confessing the word. I pray with my wife. And that's not because I'm a pastor. It's in my private time. And therefore, when crisis comes, my reflex is not to get depressed. My reflex is to praise. My reflex is not to worry. It's to speak the word. And when crisis came, Jesus had a habit. They didn't. They had a habitat. Listen to Jesus. Let him preach to them. Heal the sick. What's your custom? Let me tell you. The Lord allowed the whole American church be ripped out of their habitat to expose the true level of our habit. Why? Because his spirit is going to be poured out afresh 
on this country. When the Lord met me December 31st, 2019 and showed me the financial market shaking and people scared to death and like the whole country sliding economically, spoke to me that within 17 months of that day, there'd be a disunity and pain and ethnic pain and tearing would come to the nation and many would fear anarchy. That's all, and that was all spoken to hundreds of people. He said this, America will not end in lasting depression or recession. America will not end in anarchy. She'll end in revival. And one of the reasons God's torn us from our habitat is to get at our habit. What's your relationship with God when you're not here at Milestone? Do you pray? Do you read? And in the wisdom and the grace of God, Jesus had a habit. They had a habitat. Secondly, what did Jesus do when he went into Gethsemane? He's fully God, fully man, extraordinary relationship with his father. But it says this, then Jesus went with a, to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch with me. This is staggering. Here's the son of God, full of power. But when he gets to Gethsemane, he brings the 12 to a certain point. That's as far as they ever went. But something happens differently. He says, Peter, James, and John, come a little deeper. And as they walk away, he says this, I'm so weary. I'm so beleaguered. I could die. How many of you know that must have stunned them? Be like you praying and God says, man, don't bother me today, I'm having a hard day. Now let me ask you a question. If Jesus needed his brotherhood, could it be that you need brotherhood or sisterhood? Could it be that God alone is not enough for you? That's why he has a body. That's why you have spiritual family. Jesus learned one thing in the wilderness for 40 days. I never want to go through that again alone. If Jesus brought his brothers, who do you bring when you're in crisis? Great women of God, who's your sisterhood? Brothers, who's your brotherhood? I appreciate the fact that you have a wonderful staff in this church, wonderful senior leader. I appreciate all of it. But there's no replacement for the reality of brotherhood and sisterhood that is forged in small group life. I know what it is to be in an elite military unit. There's lots of camaraderie, but there's no place like the body of Christ to find it. There's not only purpose, there's the power of God to forge it. Who do you go to in crisis? You go, well, I go to my spouse. Kathy, I've been married 42 years. We pray every day, she's amazing. My mother is astonishing, but I have a brotherhood as well. Women of God in crisis, do you have a sister you call? Brothers, do you have someone you turn to when you go to Gethsemane? And I'm saying this, if Jesus needed a brotherhood, Jim LaFoon needs one. And here's the problem. Building a brotherhood or a sisterhood when the bombs are falling is like trying to build a bomb shelter. That's why small group life 
is why moments like that are so critical because the brotherhood and the sisterhood you are building in peacetime saves you in wartime. Who knows your greatest need? Who's praying for your children? Who's walking out that reality in your business? If all you have is a prayer request on Sunday morning, it's not enough. When Kathy and I are belligerent, when we're fighting in some crisis, we know who to call. We know who's walking with it. Why is it that we've never had so much ability to communicate, yet we're so lonely? Who can you be real with? Who knows your weaknesses? When crisis comes, and it will, and you're breaking down, and trust me, there's always a breaking down before a breaking through. Because part of the purpose of where you are is to break you down and help you find Christ in a deeper level. But when you're breaking down, who do you reach for? Who's your brotherhood? Who's your sisterhood? Thirdly, it says this. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. This is a strange one. He gets Peter, James, and John. And he says, I need you. I'm broken. I need you to pray with me. He brings them in a little deeper into the garden. And he says, okay, you stay here and let me pray. That would be like, at the end of the service, I tell Pastor Jeff, Little and Pastor Jeff Pelter, I say, brothers, man, I'm really down. I've got some things in my mind. Can we go in Jeff's office and talk? Then I say, okay, you guys wait here. I'm going to pray. And I shut the door. Like, what does that mean? Why would Jesus say, come with me, stop here, then go a stone's throw away and pray? Like, what's a stone's throw? How far is that? Well, depends on how heavy the rock is and how strong your arm is. But what's the principle? What is Jesus saying? When you're in crisis, if you're gonna have balance, when you're in crisis, if you're gonna walk your way through it, you need your covenant brothers and sisters close enough to you to pray for you and know where you are, but you need a bit of distance so you can stay close to God. Typically in crisis, people spend all their time with God or all their time with people, and here's what happens. Certain crises are designed to bring you closer to God or closer to people. And if you don't have both in your life, this is what happens. You will expect people to do for you what only God can do. They'll be pressured and you'll be disappointed. Or you'll expect God to do what he means people to do. Who's your brotherhood? What's your habit? You see, Jesus had both, although I might add they went to sleep on the job, that's another story. Who's your brotherhood? Who's your sisterhood? When crisis comes and pressure comes and pain comes. I mean, Kathy and I can spend the rest of the day talking about pain. Battling for children, disease, sick, facing death. But at every moment, we had both a relationship with God and we had brotherhood and sisterhood. I've got a habit. I never go to bed without confessing the living word of God out loud because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. My life is not determined by the news cycle. It is determined by God's living word. Now, then the battle came. 
what a battle it was. We know the story of Gethsemane. Jesus sweat blood. Sooner or later, you're going to fight or you're going to be crushed. Sooner or later, there's going to be such tremendous pressure. You're going to have to fight. And here's the problem. If you have not been practicing with the weapons when it hasn't seemed to matter, you'll fall short when battle comes. When pressure hits me, I confess the word. When pressure hits me, I call my covenant brothers. When pressure hits me, I worship instead of worry. When pressure crushes me and I'm in some crisis and my body's shutting down and I feel, I feel the tips of my, of my toes going numb and hives are trying to break out in my body. What do I do at that moment? I confess that word. I give him my worries. I claim his peace. How come? Because that's my daily life. The battle came. And while the disciples were sleeping, Jesus was weeping. The pressure was so great, the Bible says the disciples were sleeping for sorrow. Just trying to numb it. Jesus told me, he said, listen, I beg you, watch and pray with me. Fight with me. I know, I know your spirit's willing, but your humanity's weak. And if you don't pray, if you give in to the pressure just to coast through it and forget about it and try to avoid it, you're going to fall this night. You're going to give in to time. I beg you, stay awake and pray. He'd taken in the man of transfiguration. God had shown them Moses and Elijah ministering a son. Why did he show them that? Unfortunately, I slept through that too. He tried to show them, this is what you're going to be doing. Now, it's interesting. Although the devil was all over this story, tempting Judas and, you know, the disciples were going to flee and all that, never once did Jesus address the devil in Gethsemane. In fact, he never even talked to him. It wasn't about the devil. How many of you know the last thing the devil was going to do was tempt Jesus not to go to the cross? I mean, he thought he was going to kill him, and that was the end of it. You see, there's two types of spiritual battle you can be in. James, the book of James, tells us in 4, 7, and 8, it says this. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. What am I saying by that? There's the battle where we resist the devil. I mean... I was, in some, I was in some situations with my 90-year-old mother. She's amazing, and, you know, she had a, and she's just filled with faith and prayer, and she fell and shattered her hip. And um, I've been praying and praying for her, and, and she was, was a little fear tried to come on her, getting a little tormented, and I just resisted the enemy with her. But there's another battle. That's the battle to draw nigh to God when you're hurting. That's the battle to find God in the midst of your pain. And it's harder than it may look. When Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, he said, what shall I say? Father, deliver me from this hour. No, it's for this hour I came. But the minute he got into Gethsemane, what did he say? Father, if there's any way out of this, I'd like it. But I'll do your will no matter what. Pain, hurt. On the cross, he asked why he had forsaken him. I mean, it was his plan to die. 
But when you're beleaguered, when you're embattled, if you've built habit, if you've built brotherhood, those are good foundations, but you're going to have to fight. And while the disciples slept, Jesus wept and cried out and prayed and fought because he knew if he was going to make it through the ordeal to come, there had to be fresh connection with his father. There had to be fresh empowerment. So when I'm beleaguered and Kathy and I are fighting over some health challenge or bleeding for a child or some crisis around the world, we understand our connection, our connection with God are everything. But it's a battle when you're hurting. You know what I love though? In the middle of this battle, in the middle of crying out and sweating blood, he says this, Father, if there's any way out of this, I'd like it. But in the end, Abba, Daddy, your will be done. Jesus did not allow the pain to eclipse his relationship with God. He did not allow his feelings. Yes, they're the depths. Yes, there's the low point. But may I tell you, the doorway to personal renewal and national revival and the resurrection of that which is dead is through the depths, not the heights. And I know many of you find yourself in the depths today. You're battling. And what was the result? While the disciples ran and left him, Jesus stood. In fact, the mob that came to take him, the Holy Spirit hit them with such a powerful wind, they were shattered to the ground. Jesus could have walked out of it. They were scared to death of him. An angel had told him thousands of angels were circling over him to rescue him if he desired. The rest is history. Pastor Jeff will be exploring that with you. Here's my prayer for you today when you come to Gethsemane. Here's my prayer for you when you're battling in the low point of life, when there's just chronic pain with a child or finance or marriage or your health, where you're so worried your mind races when you lay down, when you're so stressed it feels like your heart is literally going to beat out of your chest. Paul teaches us to pray this. In Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, it's not on the slides. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. Now this is a power, it's a superpower. May have power together with God's people to grasp something. I'm praying you have the power no matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. Paul said, I want you to have the revelation, no matter how encompassing your trial is, no matter if you're like, my whole life's on fire, his love is that wide. No matter how long it lasts, his love is that long. No matter how high you seem to be taken, his love is that high. No matter how low you go, his love is that low. No matter where you find yourself today, his love is with you. Let me summarize this. 
Oh, how illusionary the heights can be. Oh, it's one of the greatest times. Oh, we had so much power. Oh, I mean, so many people. And I appreciate it all. To everyone, Jesus had won. But in reality, it was an illusion. That same mob would come to kill him days later. The Pharisees said, we've lost. The disciples thought, Man, Keller's ours, the nation is ours. We've never had so much power, so much success, and Jesus wept. He knew what it took to see a country changed. He knew what it took to see a marriage change. There's just gonna be some depths, some low points some hard points. He said, listen to me, he said, unless I go low, unless I go down into the depths of pain, nothing's going to change here. But if I can meet my heavenly father in the depths of what is coming, all of human history can change. When you were jerked out of your habitat, couldn't see your brothers and sisters. Church buildings closed. And I might add, they're closed still all around the world. You get on the phone in places I've been, there is no Zoom. It's just closed. When you're jerked out of the habitat, you know, there's certain habitat you design for things to flow at the optimum level. When you were jerked out of your habitat, what was left of your faith? How much faith did you have? How much peace did you have? How much joy did you have? May I say, Jesus jerked us and allowed us to, out of our habitat to build the habit we would need to walk with him and participate in his transformation of our country. When the spiritual light seemed to go off, did you have a brotherhood? Did you have a sisterhood? Did you have more than Facebook friends? The powerful thing about spiritual family, it's the finest ground to find friendship. Who's your sisterhood? Who's your brotherhood? Do you have spiritual balance in your life this morning? One hand on God, the other hand, on spiritual family. It's how we negotiate life. Fourthly, in the battle, remember it's not just to resist the enemy, it's to draw nigh to him. It's to be near to him. You say today, Pastor Jim, I need more balance in my life. I need a deeper level of habit with God. Raise your hand so I can see it right now. Put him up. Let me see. I'm going to pray for you. Pastor Jeff, join me. Lord, I pray for my milestone family. I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud. Jesus, I need more of you. Bring me to a deeper level. Now I'm going to pray. Lord, during worship, I saw two great surges of growth coming to my milestone family. What the coming years hold, it's astonishing. 
I pray for each one of my brothers and sisters. Let them build a new level of spiritual habit. I pray for each one of them to find fresh brotherhood, sisterhood. Pray they'd have balance. Help them. Thank you for choosing us to be alive and serving you at this period of time. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.